The Spectator combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, and get a £20 Amazon gift voucher absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk slash summer. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Natasha Faroz and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and Fraser Nelson. This morning, the wage growth figures were announced and it's hit a 22-year high and this has been caused mostly by the public sector pay increases. Fraser, there's been a blog written by our data editor, Michael Simmons, on Coffee House, just laying out the graphs and, and how this has happened. What does this mean for the economy? Well, the great thing about Michael's blog is that he uses the Spectator Data Hub metrics, which put a very different perspective in the story than the one most people have heard. For example, it's not all pay growth that's gone to a record high, it's public sector pay growth. The private sector pay growth isn't, isn't growing faster than it was in the post-pandemic bounce, but the public sector is at 9.6%. That's a huge figure, and it's a pretty big, because last time we heard of it, public sector was growing at 6%, then all of a sudden, whoosh, up to 96 Now, what made that huge increase? It was, as Michael identifies, a glitch. This isn't the fact that everybody in this public sector is all of a sudden being given a lot more money. This was due to the fact that in order to get out of the, the nurses' strike, the government offered a one-off bonus in June. It's quite a generous bonus to nurses of between one and a half to about three and a half grand, depending on how much they were paid. Now, because of a number of people who work for the NHS, something like 1.4 million, that bonus completely distorted the figures. So sometimes this can happen in economics. I mean, we're now familiar with, say, the Taylor Swift or the Beyonce concerts putting up inflation in the month that it happens. But if you suddenly give 1.4 million people a significant cash bonus, then the official figures will show for that month a, a jump, but it's a blip. So what's actually happening is if you look at the... Michael also identified that the the, um, the second data series from the Bank of England, this is the later... Uh, the ONS shows at June figures. The Bank of England's real-time data looks at July. Now, the July figures show that pay growth is actually decelerating. So that means the story is actually the opposite to that we've heard today. Decelerating pay growth. And that matters because, of course, the Bank of England's interest rates. Now, it wasn't so long ago that the Bank of England, anybody, by the way, who's got a mortgage will want to know, um, how am I going to remortgage? What kind of rate should I get? What are interest rates likely to do? Now, interest rates have been raised to 5.25% in Britain. That's quite high. Um, and until recently, the Bank of England expected them to go to 6.5% at the end of next year, so a big old increase. But now the wind is changing. So we can see with the wage growth deceleration, contrary to the headlines today, the market's a bit more relaxed about that. So they now expect the interest rates to peak at about 5.75% in spring of next year. But here's the important thing for anybody listening to this who's got a mortgage and is expecting to get one. The market is expecting bank rates to stay well above 4% for the foreseeable future. For the next three or four years, we are very unlikely to see Bank of England-based rates below 4% for the next wee while. I mean, until uh, fairly recently, until about a year ago, people were looking at base rates of... I mean, in, you know, in, in Christmas 2021, the base rate was... 0.25%. And nobody at the time really expected base rates to go above 2%. But now they're going to stay higher, higher for a long, long time. This will affect anybody hoping to buy a house, anybody getting a mortgage. And we see a little part of this picture today with the data which shows slightly different to what you're going to hear in the normal headlines. 
And so if this is uh, deemed a glitch, is this something where the Bank of England are probably not going to increase interest rates anytime soon? Yeah, exactly. If this were genuinely reflective of a surge in the public sector, if every public sector worker was getting an average 10% pay rise, well, I think there'd be probably fewer strikes, and there might be, and concerns about the so-called wage price spiral, although I've got my doubts about how much of a real threat, I think it's a bit of a bogeyman conjured up by governments to try to keep um, pay rises low. So I think that the um, I think public sector wages, which were growing um, at only about 1.5% nominal um, earlier on this year, they're now at about 6%, so that's your average pay rise. If you're in the private sector, your average pay rise is about 8% at the moment. But both of those, by the way, are still less than inflation. Inflation's um, trend- trending to about 10%, a little bit less than that now. But we're still seeing the toughest squeeze on um, wages and therefore living standards since records began. Um, and that's going to continue, I think, probably for the bulk of the rest of this year. Isabel, on that slightly pessimistic end to Fraser's answer, Rishi Sunak said that there was light at the end of the tunnel in reaction to today's news. How did you think the government's reacted to this? Yeah, I mean, that light at the end of the tunnel line is really the best thing that Rishi Sunak can offer on a whole range of areas, not just the economy. And that's really what he's banking on by, as we expect, not calling a a general election imminently. Uh, It's his something may turn up Mr Micawber strategy of things could start to get better. Voters could think, well, you know, they could be worse if we change government. So let's stick with the Conservatives because there is this this light getting closer at the end of the tunnel, if, if not uh, being out in the light uh, by the time of the next general election. And so I think you're going to see a, a, a lot more of that. Not so much the Boris Johnson sunlit up plans that he kept promising us when he was prime minister, but a stick with us, it's safer um, narrative from Rishi Sunak. And that's really, we'll go on to talk about Health Week and Uh, other policy announcements that the government's trying to put out this summer that's really the tenor of all their announcements is stick with us it's safer as opposed to isn't everything marvellous right now and Isabel on to the NHS this week is NHS week for the government and we were speaking earlier and it seems like some of the announcements have been this slightly strange mixture scattergun approach of policy announcements Could you talk us through some of them and which ones have landed particularly well or badly? Yeah, once you get beyond the theme of Health Week, it's quite difficult to see what the the key theme uh, of Health Week is, because you've had these very partisan, you know, political tactics uh, stories going into the papers, particularly about the Welsh NHS and how much worse it is under Labour and how the Welsh NHS could learn from the English NHS, which has raised a wry smile from most people who've had any contact with the English NHS because it's not exactly a a textbook in how things run smoothly and and wonderfully short waiting lists. Um, But that's, again, pertinent to my previous answer, an attempt by the Conservatives to say, well, look, you know, to a certain extent, you think things are bad under us, but they'd be a hell of a lot worse under a Labour government, which is hugely inspiring stuff. Um, So there's that. Then there's the policy stuff that actually feels very out of place uh, next to this raw politics. So the cancer targets that were announced yesterday or the or the depletion of cancer targets. So uh, the government has accepted recommendations from NHS England uh, to slim down the number of cancer targets that the health service has to face uh, from, I think it's nine or 10, depending on who you listen to, to just three. And 
there's lots of policy sense behind this. There's the argument that Jeremy Hunt made when he was health secretary, now chancellor, that targets are evil, that they create perverse incentives, that they bear little relation to quality of treatment or indeed the patient experience more generally. Um, there's also the fact that um, uh, clinicians don't think those particular targets that have been dropped on waiting times and the amount of time to see clinician actually make that much difference to uh, the quality of treatment. So there's there's good arguments behind it, but there's also the fact that these targets haven't been met for a long time. Uh, and so that allows Labour already in, um, you know, political war mode because of these stories about uh, Wales and so on to say, well, look, this is just a government moving the goalposts on something that it's been failing to resource properly. Uh, so there's that. Then there was the even stranger cigarette story uh, where cigarette packets would have uh, little motivational messages inserted into them saying don't quit quitting uh, following the success of similar schemes in other countries so nod to the preventive agenda but I'm not entirely sure how that fits into a wider narrative about health and this is the interesting thing just before I come on to today's announcements is that when you talk to conservative MPs who are interested in health they don't know what their party's narrative on health is uh, beyond we're trying to sort things out and the strikes keep getting in our way. They don't know what the long term agenda is on health, whether it is a move to preventive health care, uh, whether it is, you know, uh, a move on standards in the NHS. Uh, they used to have a narrative on health. They don't anymore. And they feel that Labour has been making the running on this. Today's announcement is an additional £250 million to pay for 900 new hospital beds uh, to expand capacity ahead of this winter. Now, I think this is an acknowledgement. Firstly, we all know that the NHS um, has a winter crisis every year. That's sort of just part of part of winter is a crisis, uh, but it's actually in a winter crisis in the summer as well. So this is an, an acknowledgement ahead of the winter that capacity needs to expand. There's a bit of a debate about whether any of this money is new um, or whether the entire announcement has just been reheated in a microwave. But it's uh, an acknowledgement that things are going to get much tougher uh, in the next few months. And it, again, highlights one of the government's weaknesses on this, which is that they've only just brought out a staffing strategy. You can have as many beds as you want, but you can't flat pack nurses and doctors into being. Uh, and... So with every announcement, there's a risk of highlighting things that you as a party who've been in government for more than a decade haven't done in time to avert the crisis that you're now trying to deal with. Yeah, I mean, Fraser, I think I read somewhere that there are 40,000 nurse vacancies. So the critics of this 900 bed scheme just can only say, you know, you can make create the beds, but who's going to look after the patients in the beds? Well, well this, of course, is, is the great problem. I mean, Britain is now, you know, I think Rishi Snow recently came out with a plan to recruit more healthcare workers. But by the time that happens, it will be, you know, years away. I, I, think, I still think one of the great, great scandals of this country is that this week and Thursday, you're going to get so many bright young students getting A-stars left, right and centre who want to study medicine, but are going to be denied a place to do that because it's capped. Those places are capped by the government. So we are turning away so many young people who want to, to, give, our, to, to give their lives to make a career out, out of helping the sick. And we still have not got a way of turning those um, bright young minds into doctors. 
So I think it's, it's a, those kind of figures, they break my heart. They're indicative of a really broken system right now. And that is in part because of the way that um, in this country, of course, healthcare training is heavily subsidised. So your average trainee nurse will pay a lot less than they would do in America or Australia. But the more subsidised something is, the more rationed it has to be by the government. So that's a quid pro quo. That those who are lucky enough to get the places will get their training at a reduced cost. But a lot of people who would quite like the places aren't going to be able to. So that's going. there's going to be a lot to say about when the exam results come out um, on Thursday, A-levels coming out on Thursday, and then GCSEs on Thursday next week. We're doing a cover story in The Spectator, actually, about universities and the conundrums which they are facing, and how, for many young people, the degree or what passes for them the last three years has been a complete waste of money, and the system is still horribly unfair to the children who've been through lockdown over the last three years and are about to go into university where one in four courses is still hybrid, i.e. we're told to watch the video screen a good chunk of the time. So there's lots to unpack here and lots of business which this Conservative government, by the time it gets kicked out, as by the way, they think the market saves a 90% chance now of there being a new Labour government, I would probably go along with that. And the long list of things which the Tories have not managed to solve, I think, will explain why that figure is, uh, ratio is so high. Thank you, Fraser. Thanks, Isabel. And thank you for listening.